I'm John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. I'm happy to be back. It's been a while. I've been off for uh, several weeks um, through no fault of my own. <laughs> we had some tower <laughs> maintenance to do. Uh, they keep having those hearings about uh, uh, the, the former criminal, 6th. And, yeah, yeah, of, <laughs> criminal of the United States of America. I mean, president of the United States of America. Um, and, and, of course, I do get preempted uh, every couple of weeks for or every few weeks uh, for fundraising. That one I got to put on you. I mean, look, if you guys contributed to this program and to this show <laughs> while I'm on the air, or to the station, I should say, while I'm on the air, they wouldn't take me off for a preemption. So I'm sorry. I got to put some of that back on you. So, um, look, we're always in some, some sort of a fun drive, and, and we're a bit, of a, a bit jammed up. We lost some time because of the, the tower maintenance that had to be done. I, I know they were still streaming uh, some of these shows on, uh, online, but uh, as far as being on the air, we haven't been on it. So... I'm back. It's been four weeks since I've been on. Um, so let me start by asking that you support WBAI. And you can do so by going to the pledge line, 212-209-2950. You can make a contribution of any size. You can do a one-time donation. You can do a time donation. You can uh, become a, a BAI buddy. Uh, do, do $5 a month, $10 a month. If you're already doing $10 a month, make it $15 a month. Mention this show, and they won't keep taking me off the air. At least they'd be a little bit more hesitant to do so. I'm not saying I'm not going to get preempted. Look, some things happen, and there's emergencies. There's special programming that uh, both Pacifica and WBAI feel they, they need to cover. Um, but you know what? They won't, they won't preempt me for fundraising if, if you guys step up and support the show while I'm on the air. And look, the money doesn't come to me. So, so I want to make that perfectly clear. If you make a donation to WBAI, it is for the station. But if you make it during this program, or if you do it after the program and mention this program, then they know that you heard the program, that you appreciate the program. And in spite of Reggie, what Reggie might, has said, um, either I angered you or I enlightened you, <laughs> or both. But, but that's kind of the point. Look, the show is the Resistance Radio. I'm not going to... you. I, every, everybody loves native people. We talk about feathers and, you know, burning sage and being prayerful and dance. And, and uh, I'm not Mm-mm. doing that stuff, folks. Uh-uh. <laughs> I made that clear no, from the very not beginning. You, sir. Uh-uh. I'm, not, I'm not sending you native uh, healing potions. Um, I'm not. I'm just kind of informing you. Now, look, I hope that some, somewhere along the line, people can derive a, a certain level of knowledge from the stuff they hear on the show, so it does improve their lives, or at least it improves their understanding. And and frankly, that's the start. That's the start. So again, if you're listening, I hope that you'll support WBAI and you'll do it during this program or mention the program when you do so. You can go to the pledge line. It's 212-209-2950, or you can go online to give to WBAI.org. That's G-I-V-E, the number two, WBAI.org. And look, become part of the station. Become, become part of the program. And you do so by contributing. Look, I ask that you not only contribute, I also ask that you spread the word. You know, because I know that this program, and, you know, Reggie, you can, you can, you know, uh, <laughs> you can clarify this if I'm wrong. I don't think you're hearing another show like this. And I don't think you're hearing another show like this anywhere. So... I'm trying to give you something that you're, that you're not getting anyplace else. And I'm doing it gratefully because WBAI gives me the, the, the time and the space to do it. So, 
let me let me let me continue to do it and let me continue to inform you or maybe even question you know help you question yourself or question the world around you that's part of what we do here and you know you can't have resistance if you don't start with the question so that's what we're that's what we do here again 212-209-2950 you can go online to give to wbai.org make a contribution support the support the station and support the station in the name of this show and uh, look I, i greatly appreciate it greatly appreciate it um all right, so, so now what is he going to talk about? I've been off for a while. I, I didn't get a chance to do, you know, I think they did run my Indigenous People's Day show that I recorded for WPFW, uh, but I haven't been on the air. I missed a, I missed a lot of opportunities to talk about things that, that I've kind of been ranting about uh, on a weekly basis anyway. So I may do a little bit of catch-up today, but, you know, I had somebody ask me, the other, just emailed me, I think it was just yesterday. They asked me, they said, can you tell me what your feelings are about land acknowledgements? And, and I had to like, you know, I, I had to take pause because I've been asked several times to either write or help write a land acknowledgement. In case you don't know what a land acknowledgement is, let me, let me explain. There's been a movement of, as of late to, um, to begin, you know, a gathering, maybe a protest, a rally, um, you know, some sort of meeting by acknowledging the, the location that you're, that you're doing the, having this event at, uh, who are the indigenous people who lived here before? Now, I think that kind of acknowledgement um, is okay. I get it uh, to some extent, um, but it's still casting us in the past. And, and I have to, have to ask the question, who are these land acknowledgements for? Because look, if we're not even a part of the, uh, the event, if we haven't been invited, you're not really doing it for us. So you're doing it for the crowd. And I can't help but think that these land acknowledgements are a part of soothing white guilt. You know, everybody can feel better afterwards. They go, oh, that was so great. Oh, I love that land acknowledgement. It's so great to acknowledge the people who we drove off of this land, treated like crap for several hundred years and uh, almost um, you know, eliminated to the point of extinction. Yeah, they leave those other parts out. See, that's why the land acknowledgement isn't even really acknowledging us. It's acknowledging a place that we didn't own the place. That's not the way we viewed our relationship with the land. We still don't. We occupy. We live there. And we live there at a time predating colonization. Uh, so I think acknowledge that, acknowledging that we had a presence there without acknowledging why we don't anymore or acknowledging that perhaps we still do. I mean, New York City, I think there's like 100,000 Native people at any given time who can be enumerated uh, in, in New York City. It's not a monolithic group by any means. It's not, it, it, there's no Native, clear-cut Native communities. There kind of was. Reg, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, my father was a high steel worker down in the city, and there are places not far from, um, from, <laughs> from the, the studio right there that was considered, in fact, they called it Little Donawage or Little Cognawaga because that's the community of iron workers that my father was a part of. And I've heard of that. I've heard, uh, yes, I have heard of that. Yeah, I mean, uh, in, in fact, uh, Melissa, um, who owns the building or owned the building, I don't know if she still does or not. Uh, she was, still does. She, you know, we, we had lots of conversations about this. And uh, so she, she, she asked me if I was related to any of those guys. And, and yes, I was, or am. So, 
I mean, but there's not a clear-cut Native community. In fact, it's always been difficult. They, they've got a couple of organizations down there. They've got one that's been in existence for a long time. But I'll tell you, it is hard. It's hard to bring people together. One of the things that I wanted to do, and I was hoping to be on last week, because last Saturday, so it would, I bet, would have been on a few days before Saturday, um, was uh, an, the first Indigenous People's Day parade in, uh, in Manhattan. Um, it wasn't on Indigenous People's Day, but <clears throat> you know, we got to take what we can get, I guess. And I was going to have some of the organizers join me. It was actually pretty good. I mean, I, I got to admit, I sometimes get wary about things like rallies and parades because if we don't get a, enough people to participate in it, it they can just kind of look kind of sad. But that's not what happened here. It was a pretty good turnout. And in, in fact, uh, my, my buddy Lonnie was there and, uh, and, and, and a whole bunch, I mean, there was a lot of familiar faces. I saw some of the videos. Um, but I would have liked to have talked about it. I talked about the struggle it was to get this parade approved. Uh, we aren't real good at asking permission. <laughs> it's just kind of one of those things. Uh, so the idea that, that some folks were organized enough to, to get a permit to have the parade is, uh, is, is pretty cool in itself. But so they, they pulled it off. But, and, and I was impressed because it, it did have a pretty good turnout and, that's hard in New York. And in spite of the fact that there's a significant native population in the New York City area, it's really hard sometimes to get, bring all those people together. Even the Indigenous Peoples Day event at Randall's Island sometimes doesn't have the crowd that you would expect it to have. So, um, you know, and, and some of it's internal, but, you know, conflicts between native peoples and that kind of stuff. I mean, who's, who's running what, who's who, and that kind of stuff. Um, I try to put that stuff aside and, and be supportive of any kind of gathering. Um, that's why I was hoping to have done a show on it. So maybe next year I'll be able to do a run up to the to the next next parade. But um, yeah. So anyway, back on the on the subject of land land acknowledgement. Like I said, I was asked a few times to to um, to help create uh, create one of these things, and and I and I did. I usually added more to it than just acknowledging that we once lived there. I don't know if when it's when the at least the ones that I prepared when they're finally used, if they went into talking about some of the things that, uh, uh, that really need to happen beyond a land acknowledgement. I mean, look, we're, there's a land back movement. In fact, uh, before the, the show, when uh, Kellen Reggio was going to talk about, oh, are you going to talk about land back? I said, no, I'd like to talk about land back, but I'm going to talk about land acknowledgement because that's only where we're at. And look, I do get it. To, to me, there's a part of this that says, all right, somebody's conscience um, has been bothering them. So, this is perhaps the first step, uh, but, but that's one part of it. The other part of it is, but it seems like it's really for your conscience. It's not really taking an action. Doing a land acknowledgement isn't giving us space. And I've talked about this before on previous shows. I've said, look, you know, don't just acknowledge that we once lived there. Give us some space back. And, you know, and I've, and I've oftentimes referred to my time even on WBAI as at least that's a gift. At least that's giving me some airtime space. But give us some column inches. Give us something in the in the arts. There's there's very little theater that uh, that involved native people. We're seeing a little bit more on some of the streaming services. I don't know if you caught Reservation Dogs. It's a pretty good series. Oh, yeah. uh, there's yeah, another yeah, yeah. series um, um, which is based on one of Tony Hillerman's books. Uh, it was called Dark Wind. Uh, some of the same characters, as a matter of fact. Uh, really? Uh, yeah. That's and that is pretty good. I used to be a there was a time where I was away from uh, society, <laughs> and uh, and I was reading a bunch of those Tony Hillerman books. He's a white guy, but uh, but he did a good job capturing Hopi Navajo culture in uh, in these kind of you know mystery books, and or they're kind of like who whodunits or 
you know, had a couple of native cops involved, and, and that's a pretty good series as well. So I'm glad to see native people not just breaking through on television or, and in film, but having more than just a role to play, be, being, being involved in the production. Uh, I think Dark Wind is, is part of um, Robert Redford's Sundance Film Festival, the native program that's ah. part of that. Um, this reservation dogs has some of the guys from the 1490 uh, ones involved, and you know, it's uh, and it's a comedy, but it you know it strikes home for those of us who live on native territory who watch the thing. We, we I'm sure that we find humor in some of what the non-native person doesn't find humor in because of because of our lived experiences. But um, right. um, so I'm glad to see some of that. So we are getting some of those spaces back, but I'll tell you, we're still getting tore up in history classes <laughs> because we're being promoted as relics of the past. And that's not even discussing the mascot issue. That's, I'm just talking about how we are included, if we're included in the curriculum. So, you know, I, I heard a phrase, uh, um, in fact, I don't know if I heard it, I might have just heard it today. And so, and, and I love this one. So I'm going to use this one quite a bit. It's, it says, anything you do about us without us is not for us. So if you're writing our history and we're not involved in it, then you didn't write it for us. And if you're, if you're doing a land acknowledgement for, you know, for a whole bunch of white folks who had gathered or non-native folks, I should say, um, and we weren't involved in the event or the acknowledgement, then it's not for us. So, you know, again, anything you do about us without us is not for us. I, I, I like that line and I'm probably going to use that a lot as I, as I go forward because that's our experience. And when I think about policies and legislation and practices by the federal government, state government, Canadian government, for that matter, there's a whole lot of things that they claim to be doing about us, but, but they do all this stuff without us. And including, look, black people were very much involved in building curriculum to, to study you know, uh, African-American uh, history. Jewish people have been very much involved in discussing the Holocaust and that kind of stuff. But there are still not a whole lot of Native people who get, who get a chance to have a seat at the table when it's time to talk about the, the uh, Native history. And I'll tell you another table that we're never invited to. And I've talked about this before, and I'm going to bring this up repetitively. If you're going to have a panel discussion of any kind about race and racism, and you don't have Native people there, then you are... then. I'm sorry, that's racist <laughs> because you are ignoring us and you're erasing us. You know, it's, it's funny because there's a, it's not hard to acknowledge that Native people have been the victims of oppression, of genocide, of, you know, murder, <laughs> residential schools. I mean, but it's still really hard for, for white people and frankly, not just white people because we end up in this almost like this, you know, competition for conversations about racism. With, with black people, black people don't acknowledge this either. I mean, the, the, the 1619 Project, the world didn't start in 1619. Slavery didn't start in 1619. There were Native people being enslaved before that. Now, I see some of that project is, in, is starting to include Native uh, speakers, and, and I'm glad of it. But even those Native speakers, when they're part of the 1619 Project, talk about where they were at in 1619. Well, we were there for you know, a, a thousands of years before that. So... Um, these are the conversations that, that I think we need to have. So if you're going to acknowledge that we once lived in a place, I think you got to acknowledge where we went, why we went, 
where we are now? I mean, uh, in, and who's there now? Are we, are, we, are we still a part of the community? Well, how are we a part of the community? Did we have to change and, and eliminate our identity to be a part of that community? These are the conversations that we need to have. Now, I, I have been discussing as of late, uh, you know, something that, that kind of struck me almost as I really started understanding the weight. And, you know, we, just before Indigenous Peoples Day, we had, uh, on the last day of September, we had um, uh, National Day of Remembrance. It was for the victims and survivors of, uh, of residential schools. Mm -hmm. Now, I got to tell you, somebody came up with the, with the idea of having these orange shirts. And I think it actually came from, uh, from a real live event or, um, uh, happening when, when a Native person had, the, had their clothing ripped off of them or something. So, but it, it, and so these orange shirts. And on the shirts are usually Native design with the, with the words that say, every child matters. I have one. But I got to tell you, I don't like the slogan. Why don't I like the slogan? The same reason I don't like all lives matter, Kanye West. Mm, mm, <laughs> I mean, mm, mm. these shirts should have said Native children matter or our children matter. Now, I will say that you won't see an Every Child Matters t-shirt or shirt or hoodie or whatever else that doesn't have a Native design on it. So you can, you can draw the inference from it. But the fact of the matter is that our children were not acknowledged properly. I mean, uh, and they were not... Do you know you know the, the organization Save the Children, Reggie? You know that organization? I am familiar of Save the Children. It started in 1919. And you know what? They didn't, they, they didn't save ours. In 1919, mm. residential schools were happening in a big way. Save the Children ignored our children. And in fact, a civil war was fought. And our children were ignored. They were being ripped away. They weren't, weren't ignored. They were being kidnapped. They were being ripped out of their, their families, out of their homes, out of their communities, and sent to these, these prisons that they called schools. Slavery was abolished. But what was happening to our children wasn't. Women's suffrage occurred. But the, but the girls that were being abused, sexually abused, in fact, going through sterilization programs, being, being raped and, and, and being abused, they didn't see any benefit from women, women's suffrage. I, um, I'm sure it was about voting, but you would think it would have been about protecting people. But no, our, 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 our children and our young girls got nothing out of women's suffrage. Um, uh, child protective laws came about, child labor laws and all this CPS and all of these child protection laws came about. Not for us, mm. not for us, I mean, Again, Save the Children, 1919. These schools existed for 150 years. Civil rights. The civil rights movement happened. But our children didn't benefit from that. I mean, our children did not see any change with not only the movement, but the Civil Rights Act. Somehow, we, we got missed. 150 years, Reggie. Think about this. We're talking from before Lincoln to Nixon. I mean, we, you got a couple of Roosevelts in there. <laughs> you got 150 years of children being abused through a national policy, a law passed. It was, it was called the, the Civilization Act. Can you imagine calling something a Civilization Act and then being uncivilized and being, having this level of abuse, genocide committed against children? But it's 150 years, Reggie. I mean, I, as I started thinking about this more and more, 
I can't even wrap my head around that. Can you imagine that this existed through all of that social change? You know, and, and granted, the social change looks better on paper than it does in real life. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but can you imagine that? I mean, think about tens of thousands of children, and by some estimates, hundreds of thousands of children. It's, now, the early parts of this, this era didn't have every child being ripped away, and, the, and right. the end of this era didn't have, but there was a period of time where 85, there was 85% of all Native children during the, the heyday of, this, of the residential school system were ripped from their families. And you know why it was 85? Because 15% were able to hide. 15% you know, escaped. The, I mean, the whole families would escape to, you know, to avoid, you know, avoid having the children ripped away. And well, at these schools... That, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, wasn't that one of the reasons why the AIM movement started? Because of this uh, non-acknowledgement of all the atrocities that's been happening since that time period you mentioned? Well, let's attribute uh, AIM properly to, to one of the, the biggest reasons it came into existence was another federal policy. It was called the relocation policy. This came through right. the, the, right. the Nixon era. Um, mm -hmm. While residential schools were still in full swing, by the way. They didn't mm -hmm. end until the yep. 70s, uh, later 70s, by the way. But um, this relocation program was an effort to end our end the reservations by taking people off the reservation, placing them in cities, giving them you know some sort of menial job and some crappy apartment to live in, and sometimes hundreds of miles, if not more, um, away from their their home territory. It was about trying to sever that relationship, just like the residential schools were. But this was geared, geared towards adults primarily. So, and it was it was pitched as as improving our lives. So what happened is some of the cities that, the, that these people got uh, you know, relocated to found themselves, again, experiencing the harsh realities of racism. Minneapolis-St. Paul was an example of some of the, the biggest abuses that Native people experienced. And it was there that AIM was born. And it was, it was really born out of trying to protect people, Native people, in these urban environments. Uh, mm. Oftentimes, these people were all, had already been victims of residential schools. So that's kind of where AIM got its start, and, and, it, and it, it, it moved into going back to the Native territories to defend people, and that's why you had the, you know, the wounded knee uh, uh, incident at Oglala, as they right. called it, uh, so, and all of that stuff, the stuff that would land Peltier in jail for mm -hmm. almost 50 years. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so that's, that's again, and I, and I talked to, to you about this before, Reggie. When people talk about CRT, critical race theory, mm -hmm. understanding the critical race theory is supposed to be the analysis of the intersection of racism and law policies and practices that are that are a part of you know government you know so we're, we're, but it, but it's you know you don't have to have a policy or a practice you know, only associated with with government and with law there you know there there are other industries that have policies and practices but it's supposed to be the intersection of of racism and how it affects specifically legislation and the crazy part is there are many laws that were passed that name us in the legislation because I mean, the laws were, were absolutely meant to affect our lives. And again, anything you do about us without us is not for us. And, and these laws prove that. The gaming law. It is. The gaming law, the, the one that Kathy Hochul, the, uh, the uh, current govern, governor and, and probably next governor again, 
of New York. She ex extorted half a billion dollars out of the Senecas for, for gaming revenue. Why? Because the law put the state in our business. They weren't there in the first place. They created this Indian Gaming Regulatory Act out of thin air. Acknowledging, the courts had acknowledged that we had the right to do gaming. So, oh, well, we can't let them do that without us. So they pass a law that takes away from us. The Civilization Act I talked about takes away from us. The Indian Reorganization Act took, our, took traditional government away. It redefined us as subservient or uh, um, under the authority or jurisdiction of, uh, of the United States. The Indian Citizenship Act declared that we were U.S. citizens, whether we wanted to or not. These are laws that are done, done to us. And even the laws that they claim were supposed to be great, and, and I know there's been a lot of talk lately about the Indian Child Welfare Act, we call it ICWA, because Native kids, even at the end of residential schools, Native kids were still being ripped from their homes. They were being sent to foster care. In fact, it's still a major problem for, for many people of color. I just heard a story on NPR about uh, Massachusetts and, uh, and the backlog of, of cases to, to, replay, uh, to, to have the kids placed back in their homes. But Native kids were having this happen at a, at a, at a huge level because it was the continuation of this, essentially the, the kill the Indian, save the man um, policy associated, associated with, with residential schools. So what ICWA did was suppo see people think, oh yeah, see now the states can't take and place children in white homes because uh, they have to be placed in, our, in, you know, native homes have to be the priority. Uh, but see, it's not that simple because the federal government didn't say, okay, you states, you need to defer to native governments. No, that's not what the federal government did. The federal government says, we're taking the placement authority away from the states and we're gonna place them in native homes. So it ends up being a, a battle between states and, and the federal government. In fact, ICWA is being challenged in Texas as a, a violation of states' rights by the federal government. See, they, couldn't, they didn't wanna acknowledge our, our sovereignty. They didn't wanna acknowledge that we should have the right to determine the placement of our children. So the federal government says, well, daddy's got you on this one. We got you on this one. We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna kick back against the state and we're gonna, we're gonna take care of your children for you and place them, we'll, we'll, give, we'll give them to you. Well, it, they weren't yours to give. See, this is the challenge. And, and like I said, maybe, maybe land acknowledgements are, are a step towards a greater acknowledgement of who we are who we were, what we've experienced. But I'll tell you, we still have a hard time getting at the table to have a conversation about racism. And I look, and I'm not trying to compete. I'm saying we need to be a part of the conversation. We need to help fill in some of the huge gaps when, when, when any people of color are talking about racism. Because if you're gonna leave out 150 years of have our, having children ripped from our homes, how can you have a conversation about racism and leave that out? How can you have a conversation about the fact that, yes, black people are killed by cops at a disproportionate rate, but you know what? Native people are killed at an even higher rate than black people, but you know what? We're, we're a small population, so we're easy to be ignored. And, and I've talked about that. I've talked about that even as it relates to, you know, to here in, in western New York, up closer to where I live. I, I live about 30 miles from Buffalo. But when that shooting happened in Buffalo on May 14th, we couldn't even have a conversation. We weren't even, even allowed to use racism in, in our language. We were, we were scolded, how dare you bring up racism after what happened to my people. Yeah, that's, that's what the black leaders of Buffalo were saying. Wait, wait a minute, you mean you tell me we can't even bring it up? 
That's what we were told. Hey, where's the bottom yard? Let me uh, black leaders. Uh, are those same black leaders doing something proactive now to, uh, the, to the black community up there? Well, <laughs> let me tell you this. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you heard the latest, but there's, a, there's several groups in Buffalo who are suing the mayor and the uh, the city council because they jerry they continue to gerrymander the uh, the, the city districts so black people are are disproportionately uh, unrepresented in in city council. So but, you would think but, after after all of this noise about racism and you know white supremacists coming killing black people in at tops friendly market that yeah, they would Biden say, said that himself. <laughs> yeah. He said that was white supremacy. Yeah, well I don't get it and there's a black mayor. Yeah, in, in Buffalo. I don't understand that. Well, I did a show. If you remember, remember when I did the show uh, that that uh, uh, caused a few waves. I I called some of these folks like like Byron Brown and Crystal People Stokes, who is the state yes. assembly majority leader. I I said these are black white supremacists because if you're carrying water for even the Democrats, you're carrying it for white folks because you know Kathy Hochul's the governor. She's a woman, and that's and that's great. You know that ceiling, that glass ceiling got broken. But you know what? She's white, and when she when she extorted that half a billion dollars out of the uh, out of the Senecas, she turned around and gave four hundred uh, four hundred million of it to to the richest white man in uh, in Buffalo, so he could build a, a football stadium for the for his team. So I mean, uh, this is kind of just great. This is what we what we deal with here. And look, we get people pissed off at us. You know, across party lines, but but because everything is so um, partisan, and even within the parties, but even black folks that are inside in, in government, even Native people, Deb Haaland, uh, she sits there as the uh, Interior Secretary for for the Biden administration. They're still carrying water for the for their for their white masters. I mean, I'm sorry if it, if it sounds too crude to say it. You know what Deb Haaland did about uh, the Senecas getting it. That half a billion dollars taken from them for revenue sharing? What did she do? Nothing. Nothing. In fact, mm. what she said is, well, I invite you to come to the table so we can talk about a possible rule change so maybe we won't have that happen again. It's, it's another one of those deals where you throw a couple of maybes in there and uh, hopes in there, and, and so it's really platitudes to do nothing. And, you know, and that's why, again, I come back to what I started with. If you're going to do land acknowledgments, you got to do more than acknowledge that we once lived in a place. Mm. And so we need to have space carved out. We need to have time. We need to have a seat at the table. We need to have, we need to have land back. We need restoration, not, not even something as, as simple as acknowledgement. And maybe acknowledgement is a step to that. But maybe it's an excuse not to do the next step. I don't, I'm not interested in, in soothing white guilt. I'm interested in educating people to say, look, if you know better, you should do better. But you can't continue to, like I said, if, you, if you're trying to do something about us without us, then it's not for us. Hey, we're at the bottom of the hour. Let me, let me take a break here and just talk about um, WBAI again. You know, because again, as I make my, file my complaints about land acknowledgement, I oftentimes have addressed that subject, and I talked about it before, so you've probably heard some of this before. I, I've said we need to be a, given some places to be, um, for, for us to exist. Uh, you know, the, the, what's the vernacular now? We need a space, right? Everybody needs a safe space. And that kind of, well, we need a space. And that space might be column inches on a, in a newspaper. 
It might be airtime on a radio station or perhaps someplace on the grid on, on a streaming service or, or, or cable television or whatever. But we need to be more than acknowledged. I'm sorry, we need to be accommodated because we have been ignored, erased. We, we are, continue to be the victims of genocide. Even today, it is hard for me to assert to somebody that I'm not an American uh, and that, that I'm a Mohawk. I'm Gunyogahaga. I'm Haudenosaunee. I'm Ungwe Ungwe. These are the words that we use. No place did I ever sign up to be a New Yorker, an American, a U.S. citizen. And to have that imposed upon me by the very government that, that tried to eliminate us through residential schools and through massacres and that kind of stuff, we need more than that. But again, I am pleased that not only WBAI, but I'm also on the air on, w, on WPFW in Washington. These are important markets for us to, to get our voices out. And I hope as we get our voices out that some of you are hearing this and say, you know what? We need more of this. And, and more than that, we need to make sure this doesn't go away. So if you don't want John Kane and Resistance Radio to go away, you need to support the station because that's what we're on. I mean, yeah, I know I do podcasts, but, you know, to be broadcast, and Michael G. always talks about the difference between being broadcast and being narrowcast. Yeah, I can do lots of narrowcasting. So if you want to look for me, you can find me. But if, if you want to turn the radio on and, and, uh, and hear a conversation you haven't heard before, to hear facts and historical data that, you never, that, you, that you've been denied because perhaps it makes you a little uncomfortable or it makes the people teaching it a little uncomfortable, then you need to support WBAI. The number here is 212-209-2950. That's 212-209-2950. The, uh, the website for making a donation is give2wbai.org. And just do what you can. Look, I, I know that there are plenty of you that have subscribed to Netflix or Disney Plus or uh, Prime Video or I think there's dozens of these things now. We're not asking you to subscribe because if you subscribe and you don't pay, then you, you lose the service. You're not going to lose WBI. We're here whether you, whether you donate or not. But the right thing to do is treat this service as, as something that, that you, you want to support. Not because you have to, but because it's the right thing to do. But you can, you can treat it like a subscription. $15 a month. That's, I think, I don't even, I don't, I think that's cheaper than Netflix at this point. $15 a month. Uh, let, I think you're right. Let that come off your credit card or your, your checking account. And you know, as they used to say with Ron, Ravko's uh, rotisserie oven, set it and forget it. <laughs> <laughs> I just made part of that up. I think. But, but yeah, Ronco, you, you pulled that Ronco? one out. I, <laughs> <laughs> see how much but a victim of commercialization on, I am, Reggie? You see, but to add on what you were saying, um, John, I mean, all, all jokes aside, I really do appreciate the program that you bring and the perspective that you bring. And you force people to think differently. You force people to think about the alternative of ways that usually people don't even bother to think because of how we are conditioned in this society. And I am so happy. If I wasn't working with you, I would definitely would be listening to you every week. And, and, and if the listenership out there of WBAI 
feels the way I feel, you should definitely support this radio show on this radio station. And the number again, 212-209-2950, or go to give to WBAI.org online with the number two, give to WBAI.org. And, and come on, it wouldn't be WBAI if someone, if a voice like John King wouldn't be part of the mix now. He's making you uncomfortable in a good way. And you know, you know, in your deep, deep consciousness out there, you know you need to do that research when he's piquing that curiosity when he does on a regular. So, 212-209-2950. Back to you, John. Yeah, you know, one of the, one of the, the, the things that I was most pleased to, um, to hear when I was doing so many of the live events, and I know, Reggie, you, you came to, to most of them, I, I believe. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and we've done things in the community. We, we've been together in the community before. Um, mm -hmm. so, and, but one of the things that I used to hear when I would do my live events, uh, whether it was a film screening or whether it was a, a speaker series or even bringing a, bringing a musician in, um, was when I would hear somebody who may have had a whole bunch of letters after name. I'd had PhD and, you know, a master's degree of this and, and all these other things. And they say, you know, I've, I'm hearing this stuff. I'm, I'm 64 years old. I've never heard any of this stuff before. I feel like I've been betrayed by my education. Well, you yeah. were. You yeah. were. But when I hear somebody who, you know, and, and I, it's not just because they're well-educated, but the thing about being well-educated is you think you've learned it all. You know, I'm not saying right. that everything ever becomes narcissistic. Some do. But I think the, the well-educated um, can't believe that they can be enlightened any farther oftentimes. And, and you know, right. and it's right. why it brings me back to this, to this land acknowledgement. A lot of times these are people who, who are be trying to demonstrate some level of social consciousness by, by doing these land acknowledgements. So to them, I got to speak to them and say, look, it's not enough. I'm not saying don't do it. And... And, but let it be a step to something. Because I, I am pleased when I hear people say they've never heard something before. And, you know, and, and, you know the classic examples of things that, I, that I, you know, I probably promoted more than anybody was not only the doctrine of Christian discovery, but uh, mm -hmm. when I talked about the Dakota 38, the fact that, that Lincoln signed the execution order for 38 Dakota to be hung by the neck the day after Christmas in 1862, that just happened to be a week before the Emancipation Proclamation. Right. So right. and when I tell people that, they're like, wait, what? You know, and, and, and I've, it's funny that you said that. I, I hope you guys do the research when you hear something. I, I had a few people who the first time they listened to me said, who the hell is this guy? That stuff can't be true. <laughs> and they're saying, you know, they, you know they're, they're writing me nasty emails. I said, I said hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Just look it up. I mean, don't take my word for it. And, and I'm saying it here right now. Don't take my word for anything. Look it up. And, you know, pretty soon these people saying, I can't believe that stuff is true. You mean residential schools existed to, the, to 1976? In the, and, and they existed in the 1990s in Canada? How is that How could this have continued from the early 1800s past the midway mark? I mean, think about this, Reggie. These residential schools, these essentially these, these prisons that children were housed in, they were oftentimes called asylums because our native children were being considered to be somehow mentally unfit. These existed oh legally goodness. longer than slavery mm. was legal in the United States. Mm. I mean, mm. so, I mean, 
I, I have to say longer than slavery was legal, because I'm not suggesting that slavery's ever ended quite, quite ended yet, but... Uh, well, um, the 13th Amendment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. There's that. <laughs> There's Indian Child Welfare Act, too, but... You know, yeah, so, that, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, I am, but, I am pleased yeah. that... Look, and WBI, BAI has provided Native Voices long before they had me on. You know, and I'm glad I, oh, yeah. I've been on for over a decade... Um, but you know, I, I, I got to sit in for Tiogas and ghost tours on first voices indigenous radio. I know there was the Raven and a whole lot of people that, you know, it goes back quite a ways. I mean, uh, the history that WBAI has had for, uh, for native, uh, having native content and same with WPFW for that matter. Um, mm-hmm. I'm one of the later iterations and, and I'm not, uh, I'm not replacing anybody, but <laughs> I am, in, uh, I'm in kind of the latest iteration of a native voice and I know my voice is different. I know that I'm I I'm not trying to soothe anybody, <laughs> and, and quite to the contrary, I'm not trying to get everybody angry. In spite of what Reggie said, no. Uh, but I am trying to get people moving. <laughs> I, I want I want people to be ex- get have some level of excitement, even if that excitement is born out of frustration. That's kind of what what the point is here. And and look, I do get frustrated when I get preempted, but again, I got to put back some of that back on you, the listener. If you supported the station. And specifically supported this program on the station. I'm not saying they wouldn't preempt some shows, but they wouldn't preempt this one if uh, if if I was looked at, uh, uh, viewed as a moneymaker. And you know, the funny thing is, mm-hmm. Reggie, I used to be one of the the. I think I was topping the list at um, WBAI Buddies at one point. You were. Uh, I mean, especially for a one day, an hour weekly show. I mean, I know there well, were some daily all shows. Consider, were... yeah, you're right. You're right. So I don't know what happened I, I, to that. I don't know if did I if I uh, if I did, well, I know COVID happened. I mean, everybody tightened up their purse, and uh, and frankly, I haven't been able to loosen it up again. <laughs> it's 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 complex, John. And, and as I've said to you off air, it's not your fault. Well, That's and and I'll I realize that. that. I know there's there's look, we we all get frustrated with the media, and even the stations. Look, uh, there's an NPR station here in in uh, in, in the market that I live in in Buffalo. And I get angry at them constantly. So it's easy to get angry at your station, even this one. But you know what? You get to be a part of this thing when you, subscri- when you subscribe, when you, when you become a member. So, I mean, look, throw some money and then throw some weight around. I mean, make, right. try to help us affect the changes that we need. But, I, but I'll tell you, there's no question that, that, that one of the, the things that WBAI struggles with the most is finances. And mm-hmm. we can get into a, a whole lot of debate on, on why that is. But part of it is, frankly, is, is that there's, there's just not enough money coming in. And to me, I find it impossible, almost impossible to wrap my head around how stations in markets like Washington, D.C. for PFW and uh, uh, New York for, for BAI struggle so much financially. So, you know, I got, and so I'm sorry. I mean, I know you're not supposed to, you know, yell at your listening audience, but, but I got to put some of this back on you guys. So, and, um, and, and might I add, John, when, when I talk about making people angry, if I need to clarify, and I hope you don't that, really, that but I'm, go ahead. I, part of it is surely in jest. When, when I say that, I'm, I'm talking about proactive anger that makes you think and makes you think internally about how you live your life and how the life was portrayed in front of you. And it forces you to like, okay, let me delve deeper into this narrative and why, just like you were saying before, 
like the Dakota 38, for example, why was I told, why wasn't I told this before? Why wasn't I was told, wh wh why, what was the reason why I wasn't given this information? Remember, and, remember and when think, Daniel Day-Lewis played Lincoln in the movie Lincoln? Right, right. <laughs> they, they, the whole point of that movie was to show the complexity of Abraham Lincoln. Well, how mm -hmm. the hell could you leave this out? I mean, how could you leave that this? I mean, it's the same time period that the, that the movie covered, and yet right. you you if you ever wanted to show uh, somebody's you know complex nature, show how you could sign an execution order for the day after Christmas, mm -hmm. and then a week later stand at the podium with your Emancipation Proclamation that you that you are <laughs> officially signing into law. I mean, All right? So I mean, Facts. It, look, we we are deprived of the proper education. We are betrayed by the media. We are betrayed by, uh, you know, by our education. But I'll tell you, one thing that you can do is to, is to support this program on, uh, and this station. And you know, that's why, that's why I, I, I probably don't do it enough. I do mention every show, but I know that I'm not a big fundraiser. And, uh, and perhaps, you know, perhaps I should be a better fundraiser. It seems like I used to be. But, uh, you know, if you listen to the show, um, I, I know that I could, you know, create a bunch of premiums to offer up and that kind of stuff. But, but even those are difficult because there's such a cost associated with get, not only, you know, getting them, but, but sending them out and that kind of stuff. Um, I'd rather give you the listening audience directions on how to access some of the, the great material. And, and that's what I also try to do during the show. One of the things that I talk about every every Indigenous Peoples Day that it still stands in stark competition with Columbus Day. You remember when I did that movie, uh, Even the Rain? I screened it there at the Oh, at the my Commons? goodness, yeah. What uh, a great I, I film. I keep praising that. Oh, my goodness. It's such a good film. It's a Spanish-language film, film with, with subtitles, so you got to read it through. So it's, it's best if you can watch it a few times. But it is a great story because it's a movie about making a movie about Christopher Columbus in, in the, um, the Howard Zinn you know, a version you know what that we finally come to know about the truth of Christopher Columbus, but it, but it's still a drama. It's not a documentary. So the drama is, is that the race the racism persists even in the making of the movie about ma making the movie. You know, so um, it's it's pretty it's it's layered quite a bit. Um, there's there's a line in there that talks about uh, you know um, water's life, and the, even the rain had to do with them even outlawing rain collection as a water right. supply for the indigenous people in Bolivia. So, I mean, it's a great film. But, you know, look, I could, I guess I could try to get a bunch of the copies of this film and, uh, and ask you to send $100 and we'll send you a copy of the film. Um, I'd just like to tell you to go watch the film and make, do what you can. Support Resistance Radio, support WBAI by making a contribution. Again, one more time, you know, uh, and maybe I'll do it one more time time before we leave but 212-209-2950 the website is give to wbai.org make whatever contribution you can hey, i want to bring up one other thing one other news item for for me as you know i am very much involved in the um uh the mascot fight uh, the over native mascots look mm -hmm. washington football team finally even though snyder said you can put it in caps it's never going to change the name well guess what they changed the name the Cleveland baseball team changed its name. But I'm still battling high schools that have so much less invested in those names. I mean, they aren't branding in the same way that a billion-dollar sports franchise is. 
but I'm still I'm still battling my old high school. Um, the the update is, and, and I guess the uh, in the previous delete, previously deleted scenes, um, I went to my old high school, Cambridge, New York, up near Saratoga, New York. So if you've got an idea where Saratoga is, um, not far from the Vermont border, uh, I went to my old high school and I formally asked them to um, to end using Indians as their mascot. And the message was fairly well received, but the board uh, was, it was pretty much split three to two. And I, and I take it back, it was four to one to, that, they, that they would have liked to change it. But they were really concerned about community backlash, so they kind of dragged their feet. In the end, they did vote after uh, a change of one of the seats, they voted three to two to retire the Indians mascot. Then new board members came in and they changed it back. <laughs> and then community members, uh, filed a, a complaint with the New York State Department of Education uh, uh, um, accusing them of being arbitrary and capricious in changing the name back. Uh, Commissioner Rosa ruled in favor of those five families and ordered them to remove it. Then the Cambridge School Board decided they were going to sue them in state Supreme Court. They lost, and now they, they had filed their notice of appeal, and then just last week they announced that they are going to pursue appeal they have no grounds to appeal this thing i mean they're just throwing this is a poor school district. this is a small school i mean like 40 percent of the people living in the cambridge school district are are at or below the poverty line i mean this is a poor school district small rural school um <clears throat> the only thing they're really known for these days is for their their football team and of course you know this mascots and football go hand in hand uh, it used to be a great school. I mean, I, when I graduated from, from Cambridge back in the 70s, yes, I'm that old, um, we had the highest number of Regents scholarships um, than any other school in the state based on our, our, our uh, student body population. I mean, we, we, we aced, we were one of the top-ranked schools in the state. Um, not so much anymore. They, they've got a, a top-ranked football team, but they're but everything else has suffered. And they're going to spend, they've already spent over $50,000 trying to fight for this. And they're going to spend several, you know, ten, more tens of thousands of dollars trying to appeal this thing. Um, and they, and I think they know they're going to lose. I honestly, I think the only reason they're appealing it is so they can stay in the good graces of the, you know, of the pitchforks and torches that the community members who want to play Indian for the rest of their so lives. So, John, I, I always meant to ask you this question in regards of the mascots and the changing the name. Now, I can understand, like, uh, uh, like uh, the football team in Washington, the football team in uh, Kansas City, the hockey team in Chicago, the baseball teams in Cleveland and Atlanta. In Atlanta. Yeah. You know, they're doing it because of capitalism. They're doing it because it, 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 it's going to make them money and they, they're going to profit from it. But when you're talking about high schools, when you're talking about uh, um, places like you're describing, and clearly money is not coming out of this. So what other reason, why, why are they fighting? Why are they resisting this change? Well, you know, it comes down to white supremacy, Reggie. It really does. I mean, because these are, uh, Cambridge is like 95% white. Um, there's almost no native population. I think 99% non-native population in this school district. And they have been able to call themselves Indians all this time. 
and they feel like something's being taken. This has to do with everything from replacement theory to all of this stuff that somehow critical race theory, like they're being stripped of something. Something is being taken from them. And that's the way this thing, the, the way this thing is viewed. It isn't even about the kids. It never was about the kids. <coughs> Most of the kids, in fact, many schools, it, these fights have been student-led um, uh, protests. But because I went there as an alumnus, and I go there as an adult, and I'm, look, I'm staring in at some of the, my own classmates that I went to school with who were like mad as hell, like, you came back here for that? We used to like you. <laughs> that kind of stuff, you know? You was one of the good ones. Yeah, I, and I was. I was one of the golden boys. Look, I, was, I lettered in the, all the sports, and I did theater. I was, uh, you know, I graduated seventh in my class. I mean, I was one of the, I was expected to do great things. Well, those great things didn't include uh, having uh, Cambridge change its mascot. And here's the crazy part. It, 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 this kind of ties back to the land acknowledgement. You know, the folks in Cambridge, they can't even tell you. They're the, they're the Cambridge, they were the Cambridge Indians before these, this ruling and this order. Um, they can't even tell you what Indians they are or, or claim to be. They don't even know. They, is, it, is it Mohawk? Is it Mohican? Is it, uh, you know, uh, Lenape? I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's in the Albany area. You know, it's not far, you know, between Saratoga and Albany. So they, don't even, they can't even tell you what Indians they claim to be. They added nothing to the curriculum. In fact, this is the first year, ironically, that they put on their school calendar Columbus Day slash Indigenous Peoples Day. It's never been there before. So it finally makes their school calendar when, they're, when they are no longer legally considered the Cambridge Indians. But uh, so anyway, I, I just... Man, this is deep, man. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 just, it just astounds me all the time. And, and, you know, and I really do appreciate you being on the air and talking about these things. And, and for me personally, I could definitely see some of the, a lot of the parallels um, and, you know, in, in, in the respective communities. And, and it just goes to show is that if money is not even involved with this, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's the ego and, and they're having a death grip on just changing the name where it doesn't even benefit them financially. No, I mean, and granted, I understand that changing the name has a cost associated with it. But, you know, when I went there to, to my old high school, I said, look, phase it out. As you replace uniforms, stop putting Indians on them. I mean, as you need to, you know, repaint your gym floor. I mean, I didn't say they had to go in there with a sander and grind everything off right away. <laughs> I, I, think they're, I think the courts may force them to do that now because of the, their belligerence and, and their, their fight to keep it. But I'm, I, I just wanted them to make it official that the name was changed and let it phase out. I mean, that, that, was, my, that was my pitch when I went right. there. But, right. you know, again, you get people digging in on this stuff. So, you know, and, and I, I asked the question, Reggie, and I don't know if I, I might have done it on one of the shows, but I'll, I'll ask it again. What we see, what we get hit with all the time. No, we, it's, it's meant to be honor, honoring Native people. And it's, it's, mm -hmm. done, it's done out of respect. Well, I asked the question, well, how could you do it with somebody else? I mean, how, if a, if a school that was 95% white wanted to honor black people with their school mascot, tell me how that works. What, what would you call them? What would the, what, not what would you call black people. What would you call yourselves as you, say, as you claim to be the, you know, the Cambridge black folks? I mean, what would you call yourself? 
I mean, the Negroes? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, and then I, what would you I, use I, for, I don't know. What would you use for a mascot? Is there any respectful name? Because I'll say there's no respectful name that you can use for Native people. No. But if you can't... <laughs> no, there isn't. If you can't come up with one for black people or Jewish people or, or Asian people or, you know, Mideast people, if you can't do that with anybody, then how the hell can you do it with Native people? And don't tell me that right. it's different because it isn't different. We're, yes, we have a history, but we're still here. So that's my message back to the land acknowledgement folks. Yes, acknowledge that we were, we, that we were once here, but you have to know that we're still here. Mm. Reggie, thanks a lot. I, I appreciate it. I'm John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. Yahweh.